Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation, and welcome to another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackman. Please be joined by former Raider great Stanford Route. Stan, how we doing? Pretty good, pretty good, man. Another week in the uh, life of football, whether it's college, high school, pro. Got my Raiders right now, our Raiders 3-0. Got these charges coming up on Monday Night Football, ESPN. So I'm ecstatic. You know me, man, Like on all levels, high school, college, pro. I got a vested interest in it all different ways. It's a football feast. As you mentioned, the Raiders 3-0. and wasn't a pretty win against the Dolphins, a, a roller coaster type game. I mean, you and I texted after the game. You know, that was a game the Raiders lose last year, even the year before. This win, I think, speaks to the growth and the confidence of this team, Stan. So from your perspective, what's the difference this year compared to previous years? I think this year, there's probably a certain level of belief. I think there's probably that. I think Derek Carr is playing better in certain moments within the game, as he saw the big uh, throws he made in the Ravens game to put them back in the game. And you see him making big plays against the Miami Dolphins down the stretch to go ahead and put them in field goal range, things like that. So I think that that's number one. I think number two, you start to see the defense be a little bit more sound. I'll say that. Not saying they're playing immensely better, but they're playing more sound and playing more put together. And then I think that you have all the younger guys. You got the uh, Max Crosby's of the world. You got the uh, the Trayvon Mullins of the world, the Jonathan Abrams of the world, the Cleveland Farrells of the world. You got the, the, the Henry Ruggs of the world. They're now a year older. So now there's a part of them that, okay, I'm a year deeper into this system. I'm now having more confidence in myself as a player. Okay, this situation last year, I didn't know what I should be doing now. Now I know better, so I'm going to do better. And I think that everybody is incrementally exponentially growing a little bit more and incrementally everybody's improving and that's why you're starting to see games like Sunday that should have been an L from years from uh, if you go if you go uh, off years past results and they actually found a way to turn that into a victory I think that coupled with John Gruden he's now learning this team one more year deeper into this big contract that he signed a couple years ago. So I think everybody collectively is the reason why they were able to pull out that victory, whereas in years past, that would have been an L. I mean, you look at all the Raider miscues, and there were a lot of them, yet they still pulled out the victory. I mean, Derek Carr throwing the pick six in the first quarter. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. Landon Roberts, U- yeah. University of Houston alum. <laughs> Daniel Carlson, he misses a costly extra point, then a senseless Max Crosby roughing the passer. Penalty late in the game. John Gruden once again goes conservative when trying to protect an eight-point lead. The defense somehow allowing a fourth and 20 when they had Miami backed up and their own into the field. You know, Stan, you talked about the belief, but, I mean, you played eight years in the NFL. Is the leadership from Gruden and from Derek Carr, and I'm even going to throw Gus Bradley in there now, the belief that, hey, we've got a defensive coordinator who knows what he's doing, we believe in what he's doing, what he's teaching us, what he's selling, what he's preaching. 
Does it come from the top and those leaders? It has to come from the top. It's definitely not going to come from the bottom. <laughs> so uh, that's something that, that that's always been. Anytime you see teams that are really, really good in the NFL, I guarantee you they have a, grid, a good head coach, good GM, good ownership, good position coaches, good coordinators, all that. Yeah, it definitely comes from the top down because in moments like that, I can tell you in years past where I've had certain coaches that I didn't believe in. So if we got nut cutting time, and I'm talking about we could be as a secondary or as a defense or as a team where our coach can say something and you don't really believe in what that coach is saying because you don't trust it. So it definitely comes from the top down. And I think that now you're now starting to see, okay, Maybe coach said something back in training camp that I didn't really agree with and I didn't believe in. But you know what? We won game one against the Ravens. Then here comes game two. Steelers, historic franchise. On the road, we beat them. Yeah, but the Steelers aren't that good. Miami Dolphins, they went 10-6 and six last year. They don't have their starting quarterback. But, man, this is a game that two years ago we would have lost. And we found a way to bundle up, band together, and win. So now, as a player you're starting to gain confidence within your coaching staff and with other teammates. So now when you get in that nut cutting game, like let's say Monday night, it might be against the Chargers, fourth quarter, maybe a tight game, something like that. So now when coach says something, you believe him, you listen to him a lot quicker because what he said to you thus far has panned out to be successful. So now you're growing that confidence and that faith within him. But to, uh, to, your, to your question, DA, it undoubtedly is going to come from the top. You know, Stan, we talked a lot about leadership with linebacker K.J. Wright, uh, that he was going to provide for this young defense when the team signed him. And I think we might have overlooked another late linebacker uh, trade, and that was Denzel Perriman. The Raiders got him uh, from the Carolina Panthers for a sixth-round pick. I mean, it happened less than two weeks before the season started. Mm -hmm. I mean, here's a guy. He leads the Raiders in tackles, and I believe he's – top five or six in the league in tackles. Can you just talk about the impact that he's had on this defense, maybe even more so than K.J. Wright, both from a leadership perspective and on the field performance? Well, you just said it right there. He's leading the team in tackles. <laughs> so that right there, he's showing he's a tackling machine. And just off of that alone, he's able to get guys down. He's able to go and take certain runs that it may have been a six-yard gain and it's only a three-yard gain and things like that. So anytime you have somebody who's leading the team in tackles, obviously they're 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 putting in the work. They're they're earning their keep, so to speak. And especially whenever you're going against these teams that like to run the ball to start to try to drown out the clock or to even establish the run at the very beginning of the part of the game or even in the red zone to try to go ahead and punch it in. You, you definitely need those types of guys. So I think that in all, in all, all in all, I think that Mike Mayock, he did a good job of actually realizing and seeing, okay, you know what? Maybe I can't go out there and get a Fred Warner. Maybe I can't go and get a Darius Leonard, but I can still go out there and get some very valuable pieces and get some pieces that are very productive within this defense from what Gus Bradley is trying to employ. Just FYI, Stan, the Raiders are the second team since overtime was instituted in 1974 to start 3-0 with two of the wins coming in overtime. The other team, the 1995 Kansas City Chiefs. I remember those Chiefs, yeah. I remember. I think, I want to say, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe those Chiefs went 13-3 and that year. They did, wow, that is yeah. a great man. Was Steve yeah. DeBerg the quarterback in 95 for them? Was it Steve DeBerg? I, I want to say it was Bono. Oh, Steve. Okay. I could be wrong. Could be wrong. But I, I think they went 13 and three in that 95 season. I believe they right. lost. I think they lost individual uh, divisional round. Denver. To 
I think it was a Denver at home because they were the. Oh, maybe it was. Yeah. Or me. It could, uh, I know one year, remember Jim Harbaugh, the comeback kid? Yes. Was that Cinderella type of season? I think it was 95. I think. I could be wrong. But who who knows? Man, that was eons ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Raiders are three and a half point underdogs. Uh, it's the third time they've been an underdog this season, which I know you like to roll playing underdog. The over-under against the Chargers, 53 and a half. And it's already week four, and we're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. With a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests, Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use the promo code BLEAV to receive your bonus. From football, hoops, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. All right, Stan, I know Gus Bradley's going to downplay it all week, but you know this one would mean a hell of a lot more to him if the Raiders can beat his former team, the Chargers. He spent the last four years as defensive coordinator there. I think that once you've been around, because remember, he was with the Jacksonville Jaguars as a head coach right. before that Seattle Seahawks. Yep. I can tell you, when you're with a team for a lengthy amount of time, you know, like I was with the Raiders for seven years. That was my first NFL team. Then I went to the Chiefs. Obviously, then us playing the Raiders back in 2012, that was a little different. But once you've been around, you've been on multiple teams, you don't have that same vigor of, oh, my God, this is my former team. I want to make sure that I beat them. You don't have that now. Like I said, 3-0. and Chargers are 2-1. and Broncos are 3-0. and The Chiefs are 1-2, and but we all know the Chiefs ain't going nowhere. Like right. if you think they're disappearing, you're like, you got nothing coming. Exactly. So just off of that alone, you got to win this game just so you can stay on pace within the AFC West. So like, if that's not enough motivation, I don't know what is. So I think for Gus Bradley, I don't think that you're going to have the same vigor, the same rigor out of his mindset is if let's say Bill Belichick, a coach, a longtime coach goes to another team, then yeah. That right there, you probably got a little bit of that animosity. But saying how Gus Bradley has been on multiple teams, and I'm talking about all of this just since 2012. Right. So I don't think it's going to be the same level of animosity or bad blood just because once you've been on multiple teams, it just does not have that same type of feel because, I mean, that that was the case, and he's going to be that way against the Jaguars. <laughs> he's going to be that way against the Seahawks when they uh, in the preseason when they played him. So I think he's probably going to handle this more uh, in stride, more so than, it, than it's uh, circled on his calendar. All right, well, this one has all the makings of a good old-fashioned AFL shootout. I mean, Derek Carr leads the NFL in passing yards. Justin Herbert is fourth. Stan, I think Herbert is the best pure passer the Raiders have faced through the first four games. Oh, no doubt about it. How would, <laughs> no doubt how would about you it. go about putting together a defensive plan against him? Uh, I would actually, as crazy as it sounds, and I hate to say this, but I would actually do a lot of what the Dallas Cowboys did. 
Trayvon Diggs did a pretty good job uh, against uh, Keenan Allen, had an interception, some big plays, things like that. I would probably go ahead and I would I would force Justin Herbert to beat me with his arm, which I know how that sounds because <laughs> right. great. But I would play a lot of tight coverage on the receivers. I'd force him to go ahead and beat us with his arm. Uh, we try to go ahead and obviously stop Austin Eckler in the backfield. But I think that if you sit back in zone coverage, uh, Keenan Allen is too good of a route runner. He's too he's too smart, too savvy to go and find that honey hole, the soft spot within the defense. Mike Williams can go up for the ball like the and like uh, anybody in the league that uh, the best in the league. I would challenge Justin Herbert. I would challenge him to make tight quarterback throws. We know he can do it, but I'm challenging you to do this. Over and over and over and over and over again. And, oh, yeah, you also better do that before Ngakwe and uh, Max Crosby get loose because uh, they're going to put you on your back. Right. So I would definitely – I would challenge him. I would challenge him, and I would force him to be great every single play. So that kind of gets me to my next point. I mean, the Raiders have done a wonderful job through the first three games. They recorded seven sacks. I mean, they never let Lamar Jackson, Ben Roethlisberger, or Jacoby Brissett get comfortable in that pocket. Can you put enough pressure on him with just that front four? Or would you perhaps bring a little bit more pressure and go after Herbert and maybe make him get the ball out quicker than he wants to? Well, ideally, you definitely would love to be able to get pressure with just your front four because now you can sit uh, your linebackers back in cover two, quarters, things like that. You can just do so many different things. So that's what you would love to do. Now, you're obviously, unless you have the defensive line of the Baltimore Ravens when they won the Super Bowl with Ray Lewis, when if you have the defensive line of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now, and even back in 2002 when they won it with John Gruden, then you can do that. You can do that sort of thing. But the, for the Las Vegas Raiders, I think they can get pressure with just four. I don't know if they can do that consistently. Like I said, you go ahead, you bring somebody off the edge. I would definitely go and I would try to, in my best, I would try to keep Justin Herbert in the pocket. Justin Herbert is, isn't Lamar Jackson, but he doesn't mind moving. He doesn't mind scrambling to go and find the open receiver. I would do my best to try to keep him in the pocket. I would do my best to try to uh, blitz him from the outside, force him to step up in the pocket. That way we can at least keep him crowded. We can at least keep him contained. And so that's what I would do. But nonetheless, I would not have receivers running scot-free. I would play a little bit more man coverage. I would also mix up some coverages. He's only in his second year, so he hasn't seen everything the defenses can do. Uh, But nonetheless, I would speed up his internal clock, confuse him a little bit, and I would try to rattle his cage. All right. On the other side of the ball, Stan, the Chargers defense is one of the best against the pass. But on the flip side, they're dead last in the NFL against the run. Now, you mentioned earlier, Derek Carr leads the NFL in passing yards. For the most part, the Raiders' run game has struggled this year. So let me ask you this. Would you still ride the hot hand of Derek Carr, or would you try to establish the run like you know Gruden is dying to do? I think you have to establish the run. You have to show the the other team that – we're going to run the ball. That way, just at the very least, you can keep them honest. Because if now they just start sitting back there and cover two to go ahead and try to take away all your deep shots with your receivers, well, now you're playing into their hand. So I'm going to run the ball just to go ahead and show you that I'm willing to. That way you go ahead and bring Derwin Dur- James down into the box. Now I get more single coverage. I can go ahead and take my shots with my receivers downfield. So I'm going to do that just off the simple fact. I got to let you know that I came to play and let you know that I'm not just going to go ahead and back down because of us not being that good against uh, us being able, not being able to run the ball that well. But guess what? You damn sure can't stop the run because you're last in the league. So 
uh, we're definitely going to go ahead and uh, and try that. But also, like I said, I'm not backing down from anybody. Derek Carr right now leads the league in passing. We're going to continue to ride his hot hand. Now, are we going to throw the ball 50 times? No, we want to be a little bit more balanced. But by all means, whenever we call this pass play, like Derek, drop back and let it rip. All right, we have a special guest joining us. He played eight years in the NFL, including six with the San Diego Chargers. He recorded 17 sacks in 2006. Let's welcome in Sean Merriman. Sean, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> so what was Raider Week like when you were playing? You know, I, I didn't fully understand it, right? Coming from the University of Maryland, um, mm-hmm. and I knew about the Chargers and whatnot because Junior Seau and, and the team that they had there with LT and Phillip. So I knew of the charge for them, but I didn't understand what that rivalry meant. And my rookie year, you know, the NFL is fast. It's going, it's coming at you a thousand miles an hour and the practices are going and whatever. And then we all of a sudden get into playing the Raiders and Marty Schottenheimer, he is something, he switched totally. It was like, I didn't know it. It was something about the Raider week where practices were much harder. It was much more physical. Um, we started practice over a couple of times, like, because it wasn't perfect. I mean, it was it was intense. And so he kind of instilled in us that Raider week was different than any other week that we got coming. And, and I, for, for even still now, it's, it's like embedded in me that, you know, to, to this Raider hate is real. <laughs> Couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, me being from Texas, like, I never knew shit about Raiders and Chargers rivalry, anything like that, but... Man, as soon as I got to Oakland, that was one thing I learned very quickly, especially, you know, like uh, would it be in, in San Diego that traveled down there, being over there, like, I guess, uh, I think we were in the Gaslight District, I think is Gaslight. where we stayed yeah. But yeah, so it was it was always a different type of feel. And then especially when Nor left Oakland and went to the Chargers, that's when it got even more heated. Yeah. But uh, I would say outside of the rivalry, the Bay Area rivalry between San Francisco and Oakland at the time, yeah, there was always a scuffle, some sort of a fight in the stands, something like that. So, man, trust me. Like, trust me, Sean, I'm right there with you, man. Like, I didn't know shit about it going in, but then I learned about it very, very quickly. Absolutely. Sean, the Chargers coming off a huge road win at Kansas City. I mean, you and I were talking beforehand. It feels like that's a game the Chargers might have lost a year ago or even two years ago. So how big of a win was that for this team? It was huge, and, and you're right, because I, I believe that last year, the year before, they lost like five games within seven points, or, or four games within seven points, uh, what ultimately would have turned them into like having a good, pretty good record. And this year, what I see different is they're finishing games. They'll them to go forward on fourth and nine and, and, and show some guts there and believe in Justin Herbert and that team that they have. Um, that's the mindset of this organization going forward. And they should be excited about it because that quarterback, Justin Herbert, they got there is going to be there for a decade plus. And so if you have the confidence in your guy going into every week that you have somebody on the center that can do those type of things, you're going to feel pretty good. Well, you just mentioned Justin Herbert. I mean, we have seen so many young quarterbacks struggle. I mean, this year, all these rookies that are having issues last year, you know, to a tongue of Iowa, there are some exceptions to the rules, but how impressive has he been through these first 18 or 19 games of his career? You know, um, so, you know, when, during the combine, I, I tweeted out during the combine that if they had, if Justin Herbert was there, then they should take it. This was, this was the guy. Um, I also went to the championship game when they played uh, Wisconsin, too, so I got, a, I got a chance to watch him up close and personal. 
Um, and I said, if he's there, you, that's the guy to go with because there's no better person or no better player in this whole draft to pass the torch from Phillip Rivers to anybody else. You know, Phillip's been a staple of that organization for, you know, his 16, 17 years, however long he was there. Uh, and then now having somebody who's going to be there 10 plus years again in the staple of the organization. Uh, not one of these guys that don't pan out in a couple of years, you get rid of him and, and he becomes a backup floating around in the NFL. So um, he, he's, you know, if he continues on his pace, he's already setting records, but if he continues on his pace, uh, we're, we're going to be talking about him possibly going down as one of the best quarterbacks ever. Stan, I mean, you've kind of seen it firsthand, the reverse side of it. I mean, you play with Jamarcus Russell, who was a number one pick who completely flamed out after a few years. Oh, yeah. I mean, trust me. I mean, we had like a revolving door of quarterbacks, uh, especially my first couple of years. And believe me, it, it does take its toll on the defense or just the organization whenever you don't have that staple guy that, you know, driving to the to the stadium every Sunday. OK, we got a chance to win this game. Like We got a strong chance. So trust me, that's one thing that I definitely did not experience, at least at least not until we had Carson Palmer. I believe it was my seventh year back in 2011. So trust me, like I had the direct opposite of experience from uh, from Sean. Matter of fact, you know what, Sean, that leads me to a question I want to ask you. As a defensive player, and this is one of the things I love about Herbert because I think he's one of my favorite my favorite young quarterbacks in the league. And tell me how you feel with in today's game, you know, the spread offense, the RPO, the read option, all of that stuff. How I feel personally, what it does is it takes lesser quarterbacks and it gives them the ability to be able to actually, I guess, be productive, even though they may not be as accurate. They may not have the biggest, strongest arm, things like that. And so that's why I think Herbert is so good because he's really, really accurate, got a big, strong arm, tall, obviously can stand up in the pocket, things like that. So tell me from your vantage point as a linebacker, because I know how I feel. I feel like the guys that come in and they they uh, they they gain so much success off of the RPO, the read option, because guys like you, the linebackers, whatever decision you make, you're wrong. Because if they, if they hand the ball off, I'm sorry, if they if they do the play action fake, you got to go take your read steps to uh, go and uh, t- attack the run. Well, then they still throw the slant right behind you. If you go and stay back and play soft on it, then they just go and hand the ball off, pick up six seven yards. It's now second and three. Talk to me how you feel about where this game is now going to with the RPO, the read option, you know, all of that. And the level of talent, the level of skill that you see in quarterbacks versus years past when you came in with a Drew Brees and then branching over to uh, Phillip Rivers. You know, it's, it's funny you ask that question because uh, I got this theory that I don't, I don't like uh, rookie quarterbacks coming in and having to play right away. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't, I've never liked it. I don't like it now. Uh, but what it's seeming like is they're coming in, you know, the Justin Herbert to the world. And, um, you know, some of these guys, you know, can play right away, right? I mean, if they, they're mentally capable of hand, handling the NFL playbook. They're ready to go. Um, but also, too, I'm looking at it as, as you asked about the defense side of the ball. I'm like, hell, man, I would have had a lot of opportunities for some sacks because, you know, we used to play Kansas City. And you know how they was back in the day when they used to line up in power. They were running the ball 35 plus times a game. Yep. Chris Holmes and then Larry Johnson, they got back there and they had done as, as the tight end and Tony Gonzalez on the other side, Brian Waters. They were just running Tony Richardson and fullback. They were running the football. You knew they were running it. And so when you play like that, you can't just pin gears back and go. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, when they're throwing 70 plus percent of the time, 
and then they're just mixing it up with some, you know, read option or stuff like that. But they're getting so creative now with this misdirection and guys lining up. I mean, look at Kansas City. Is is there's no way to figure out what the hell's going on unless <laughs> unless you know they have you know two, five of the same plays out of twenty five different formations. Yeah, you know, guys are shifting and moving all the way around, and tight ends lining up at, at full back and shifting out lane. They're, they're throwing the ball out the backfield. So I, I think the game is it, it, they're getting creative. Back then it was it was more of a smash mouth. You know you know mm-hmm. we what we're gonna do is can you stop it type yeah. of thing. Hey Sean, the Chargers are facing a red hot Derek Carr. He leads the National Football League in passing yards. Put on your defensive coordinator hat for me. And what is your game plan to try to slow him down? You know the biggest thing with Derek Carr is he's always been capable. You know this is not the first time he's he's had a, a red hot season is, is he, he's lighting people yep. up um he's been there he's he's always show, shown he can do it the problem with Derek Carr in the past was was he capable of, of being consistent and not go missing for three and four four games where you're looking like who the hell is this guy he just threw for 350 last week why you know so I if, if I'm the defensive coordinator right now I'm looking and saying we got to stop the deep ball because when he throws a deep ball and he puts air under it under it and let those wide receivers in the tight end while Darren Waller get under the football. I think he has one of the most accurate deep balls but he let wide receivers run under the football. Now, a lot of these guys got stronger arms and Justin Herbert's strong arm, Patrick Mahomes stronger arm. But when you talk about the deep ball accuracy, Derek Carr is up there. He just, for whatever reason, he knows how to drop that thing right over, uh, you know, cornerback or linebacker that's trailing down, down the scene. He's really, really good at doing that. So first and foremost, I would take away the deep ball. I would say, look, you guys – Darren Waller, you, you know, you guys are uh, you're going to catch the ball, right? You're going to get these five outs and 10, 10 yard passes. I would get, give some of those up. I would stop Ruggs and, and Zay Jones or any, anybody else from the deep ball, force them to run the ball and throw these short passes and play game control because they, you know, they eat up some clock, fine, no problem. But the deep balls can really hurt you. And he's shown in these last three games that he's capable of doing it. Bruh. I remember, and I even told DA this. Like, I remember years past, man. We'd be down there at Qualcomm Stadium. It'd be like third and six, third and seven. And with you and Sean Phillips, we just simply wanted the quarterback to just get the pass off. Like, if they complete it, they complete it. Like, <laughs> but, like, we already knew, like, hey, man, hey, it's third and six, bro. Like, hey, defense, get ready. It's <laughs> like. They're about to pin their ears back. <laughs> and 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 Nap, our offensive coordinator, would all he said the Sean brothers. And so he would always mention that. And so we would like get up and get on the sideline and stand up and watch. Third and six, we already knew, man. Y'all gonna get in that three-four. Y'all gonna get them outside pass rush. And I'm like, man, I just hope we get the pass off. If we complete it, great. If it's a first down, great. But like, man, let's just get the play off. You know, you know what's funny about that? Uh, what, what was the offensive uh, offensive line coach back then? When we, uh, oh man, we had Tom Cable. Uh, we had oh man, we had several, but yeah. he's he's the only one that like comes to mind. It, it might have been Tom Cable. Might, it might have been Tom Cable. We're down at the uh, in 2018. I'm, I'm announcing the, the Chargers draft pick in Tennessee. Um, and he comes up to me. I was at the commissioner's lunch, and I was talking, um, speaking at the commissioner's lunch. And he comes up to me and he said, man, why'd you do that? And I said, what do you mean? He said, why'd you do that? And I said, what do you mean? And he was talking about Robert Gallery. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he said, why did, you, 
Because I, I think after that, they either moved him to the guard, and then after that, he's out, he was out the league. And I said, look, man, I, that, wasn't, that wasn't my intentions, but when I seen him over there, I, you know, with all the hype that he had, I said, man, I got to do this to him. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I absolutely have to, because he had so much hype around him coming out of yeah. college and the first pick and everything else. I said, man, this is Monday Night Football. I think it was, it was 2006, Monday Night Football. Oh, 27-0. Y'all blanked us. Yeah. Oh, man. You had three sacks that, that game. I think four. Oh, I think I had four that game. Did you have four? <laughs> and, and so I'm looking across, and, and, uh, and he had he had so much hype. I mean, it just – I remember. And I said, man, I got to just tear this guy up, right? That's all that was going through my head. And then I went. I got an argument with the coaches on the sideline because I wanted to break Derek Thomas' sack record. So I'm, I'm damn in tears. I mean, I'm, this is my first time crying, as, almost crying as a grown man. And I'm sitting over there, damn man, tears. They yanked me out the fourth quarter. I said, man, y'all got Robert Gallery over there. I'm getting my six-plus sack today. <laughs> uh, but that, that was great, man, because you, you guys had uh, Aaron, I think Aaron Brooks at quarterback. Yeah, he was a quarterback. Uh-huh. Um, but it, it was fun, man. That, you know, the rivalry in this game, I think it, it extends so much because the Raider fan base is really all up and down the West Coast, whether it's mm-hmm. San Diego L.A., yeah. North, up in the north, up in Vegas, here in Vegas. I mean, it's everywhere. So they traveled. So you knew that you had, you were going in, in, in vicious territory when you had to show up. No doubt about it, man. <laughs> Good right, times. Sean, I we'll, still remember all that. We'll get you out of here on this. I know you got a, an event coming out. Lights Out Extreme Fighting, October the 30th. Tell us about it. Yes, yes. Uh, my MMA league here, Lights Out Extreme Fighting. Uh, we got a fight at the Burbank Marriott uh in los angeles october 30th doors open i think at five o'clock uh it will also be live on fubo sports so anybody that can't make it there check us out on fubo sports we'll be live i think starting around six or seven 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 p.m we'll go live and uh it's been something man that's um i've been around mma for the last 16 years i've been doing it during the off seasons um and i one thing that i've always pushed too i try to get former guys that's retiring to try to pick up a combat sport whether it's jiu-jitsu boxing muay thai grappling just something um and because yeah I, I i love the sport i've been around it and it's it's been uh, it's been my means of meditation i just actually left extreme couture right now got me some good rounds in um uh, so yeah man i love the sport but october 30th burbank marriott um at lights out extreme fight you can get our t- get the tickets on uh, lightsoutxf.com nice outstanding great stuff john thanks so much for joining us man really greatly appreciate it yeah appreciate bro, it, man, man. love having you all man hey, always hey, been hey, big fan we gotta do this again Absolutely. Sean Merriman, Raider Nation. Stan, that was a wonderful interview with Sean Merriman. Really appreciate him coming on. You know, I remember as a fan watching that 2006 Monday night game. Oh, man. It was a season opener. You know, it was a late start. I was excited for the season. And that game was over in the blink of an eye. And the Chargers just absolutely dominated the Raiders. And that kind of set the tone for the season for the Raiders. It went, what, 2-14 and that year, I think? Yes, 2-14. and I believe our only wins were against the Cardinals and the Steelers in back-to-back consecutive weeks. I forget which one came first. But, yeah, I remember that year we had Art Shell as the head coach. And that was, a, that was a tough year, man, because Art Shell, obviously being a Hall of Fame offensive lineman that he was, he brought in Jackie Slater, another Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, like, and then, you know, Willie Brown, he was always our defensive back coach. God rest his soul. Love Willie to death. That was my, that was my second year in the league, and that was a real tough year because – that's when I started to learn how this game is evolving and you have to evolve with it. And Art Shell didn't evolve with it. I remember we were in, we were in pads. We were doing pads, doing, we were doing two a day, 
padded two-a-days in training camp. That's number one. And we played in the Hall of Fame game that year. So that's five preseason games as opposed to four like other teams. And like I said, we're in pads in two-a-days. And usually you see teams go two, uh, two practices, then the next day it'll be one practice. Two practices, then uh, one practice. Well, we're going two, 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 two. So we're going double. Uh, we're going padded two a days, multiple days in a row. And I remember there's one time where he basically told us like, you know, the NFL says that you know you're you get you have to get one off day a week. So you know, here's your off day. <laughs> uh, he said this during training camp. So you know, we got our off day because the NFL mandated it. But I remember that year we opened up on Monday Night Football against the Chargers, lost 27-0, and it was Monday Night Football. So obviously most teams, you play on Monday night, you're off Tuesday because that's the national NFL off day, and then you come back Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of the next week. Well, because of the usual Monday protocol, the Monday schedule of come in, lift weights, get the lactic acid out, and then watch film, make the corrections on your previous game, which is usually on Sunday. We still had to do that. So on Tuesday, we come in, we go, we lift, we run, get the lactic acid out, and then we watch film. So we just simply didn't have an off day that week as we're going into the second game of the season, I believe, which was against the Baltimore Ravens. And that was all the way in Baltimore, East Coast game. So that was, you know, just little things like that. And I remember, I believe it was, I believe it was sworn sap. I believe I could be wrong on this, but I believe it was sap. And as we're looking at the, the schedule for week one against the Chargers. And so we see how right after the game, we have, you know, the Tuesday schedule of come in, live weights, watch film. And then Wednesday week is install week for uh, Baltimore. And I remember Warren Sapp said, he said, uh, as we're all looking at the schedule at the team meeting, Warren Sapp says, what about Tuesday? And then Art Shell says, you know, in his real deep voice, what about Tuesday? And so everybody in the meeting room is kind of like, whoa, like, I mean, he just basically just said F you like to Warren Sapp. And it's all because he's like, Sapp is like, hey, what about Tuesday? Are we going to have an off day? And basically, Art Shell's like, no, you're not going to have an off day. Now what? So I remember there were times where we weren't practicing good, and he basically would call us up, and he would tell us how, uh, what, what, what would Art, Art would say, he basically told us in so many words, I mean, don't quote me on this because I don't, I'm, I don't have it verbatim, but he basically said in so many words, I don't really blame you guys for, uh, for not practicing hard. It's just probably how you were raised. What? <laughs> That's exactly what half the team said. So that, you know, so that was so that was obviously different. Uh, there was one time where he basically told us during training camp, it was one practice where he basically called it off, and he basically told us all just like go in and you know go home or you know go to go to uh, the rooms because you know we're at Napa Valley. That was one time, but I think that was his way of giving us the day off. But he didn't want to say it, so he wanted to make sound make it seem like he was more mad. But uh, but you know that's my own personal opinion. But sure. yeah, there's. Several of those things, uh, we were in we were in full pads up until about mm, second week of December, week thirteen. Most guys are taking the pads off at the latest early October. Some guys are taking the pads off late September. We were in pads, like I said, all the way up until then. We got blanked on what uh, Seattle Seahawks Monday Night Football, San Diego Chargers Monday Night Football. We got blanked by somebody else. I'm just forgetting. And I looked it up. I think that 2006 season, the Raiders, I think, were shut out four times. Yeah, and something four, like that. Uh, four other games didn't even score a touchdown. Yeah. So mm-hmm. half the season, 
He didn't even get an offensive touchdown. Yeah, I mean, obviously our offense wasn't great that year, but also I think we were just dog tired. Yeah, like, you know, doing the two-a-days in pads, back-to-back consecutive days. And then, like I said, we had the Hall of Fame game. So, you know, we started camp about a week earlier than everybody else did. We're in pads all the way through week 13. We had the antiquated offensive type of a scheme. It was just because, but the thing is, the crazy thing is, I remember my second year, I got my first career pick against Alex Smith. It was like early second quarter against the 49ers in like week four or five. Fabian had four INTs that year. Navdi had eight. I mean, we like we had like one of the best pass defenses in the league that year. Like I think number one and number two and number three overall defense. I forget. It was we were we were up there in top five. So it was crazy. Like our offense struggled, but our defense played pretty good statistically. But yeah, a lot of that just had to do with the way that we were being, the way everything was being run with, you know, RHL basically running us into the ground. But that's how he played and how he practiced back in his time. So from his standpoint, he's thinking of the same type of culture, the same type of mindset, the same type of generation that he was a part of. So for him, he's like, you guys are soft because y'all can't handle uh, two-a-days with full pads. And we're like, bruh. It's 2006. It's a completely different time period. Just like right now, it's 2021. Completely different time period. So, yeah, so that, that was a very tough year because of everything that we had to endure before we even got to the games on Sunday. Well, Stan, that's why he was one and done in his second yeah. stint. I'll give, you, I'll, give you one, I'll give you one other quick story. I remember there was one time we would start meet. We would start 8 o'clock meetings, sometimes at 7.53, just because – that's when he wanted to start the meeting. And as far as he was concerned, if you showed up at 7.56, you were late, even though the meeting supposed to start at 8 o'clock. I remember there was one time we started meeting around 7.55, and it was an 8 o'clock meeting. And I think Robbo, Rob Ryan, our defense coordinator, came in at like 7.58. <laughs> and, and, you know, whenever you come in late, like Art, you know, he kind of stares at you. So Robbo came in, and, I, and Art kind of looked at him kind of sideways, and then Robbo was like, yeah, he's like, you know, Art told him, he's like, you said you're late. You sh- don't be late again or whatever. And Robbo was like, yeah, it's 7.58, but, you know, who cares? Art was like, you're being insubordinate. You're going to be fine for that. And so Robbo was like. the team he's doing this? Oh, this is during the team meeting. Oh, and my so, goodness. And mind you, so, and so Robbo's like, it's 7.58. The meeting starts at 8. And I'm early technically, but because you want to go and start it whenever the hell you want to, that caught you want to go ahead and deem me late. So, I mean, he even said, he said, he said in one of our earliest practices, maybe back in the summertime or early training camp, he said, guys, I'm talk, I'm Tom Coughlin before Tom Coughlin was Tom Coughlin. And Tom Coughlin always had a belief of if you are, if you're on time, you're early. If you're, you know, he said, if you're on time, you're late. If you're, uh, Whoa, uh, God, man, I always forget. It's if you're if you're five minutes early, you're on time. Right. If you're on time, you're late. Right. And like that was pretty much Tom Coughlin from several people that have played for him. And so uh, so Art Shell told he said, I'm Tom Coughlin before Tom Coughlin was Tom Coughlin. So it was several of those type of situations. Then when then we would uh, and then one other last one, we would have a roll call of special teams at every pregame meal. It would be a roll call where he would basically go through every position on special teams, whether it's punt, punt return, kickoff, kickoff return. And he would just, and so he would say, right gunner. And whoever was the starter, 
you got to say your name. And then whoever's second on the depth chart, say your name. Third on the depth chart, say your name. Fourth on the depth chart. So, like, if you're somebody who's on one special team and you're, like, the third guy on that special team, you better attend that pregame meal meeting so you can just – just so you can say, route. If he says, uh, you know, who's the R1 on kickoff? It'll be Washington, route, pool. And then, you know, everybody says their name. So you better be in there just so you can say your name. And if you're not, then you know what? You miss that meeting. You might get fined for it. Oh, my Lord. Thanks for yeah. pulling back the curtain and revealing why every, <laughs> you guys were 2-14 and 14 yeah. that year, Stan. Unbelievable. And finally, let's pick some games in the AFC West. And we'll begin with the Chiefs at Eagles. Casey, a seven-point favorite on the road. Stan, I'm not ready to write off the Chiefs. Despite a one and two start, you know, everyone's making a big deal. They don't blow anyone out. Well, two things on that front. They have a bullseye on their back, and every week they're getting their opponent's best shot. Second, mm -hmm. they're not going to blow everyone out every single week. I mean, let's be realistic. You played in the NFL. You know that. You like them on the road? The Chiefs and the Eagles? Yep. They're playing the Eagles. You see what the Cowboys did to the Eagles yeah. on, on, on Monday night? I did. Uh, the, the Eagles won the first game of the season against, against what, the Falcons, I believe. Then yes. they lose game two yep. to uh, Niners. the Niners. Niners, exactly. So I, I, I would probably say, yeah, the Chiefs are going to go ahead and win that one. Maybe, maybe it's not a blowout. Maybe it's, you know, nine points, ten points, something like that. But I would definitely go with the Chiefs on Sunday. Yeah, I'm with you. I think they win something probably 27-17, maybe even 30-20. to 20, But I'm with you. I like the Chiefs as well. All right, Ravens-Broncos. Denver is a point-and-a-half favorite at home. Broncos are undefeated, but three of those teams they've beaten, Stan, Giants, Jags, Jets, a combined 0-9. I know you play who's on your schedule, and they've taken care of their business, but I'm not buying into Denver. I'm going to go with the Ravens on the road, and I'm sure Baltimore kicker Justin Tucker could make a 70-yard field goal in the thin air there in Denver if needed. I hope that I'm wrong. I hope that I'm wrong for obvious divisional purposes, but – I would go with uh, the Denver Broncos because Baltimore barely beats Detroit. Let's remember that. Yes, they beat Kansas City, but if Edwards and Lair doesn't fumble, the Chiefs are probably going to win that game. When you look at the Ravens, the injuries they've had to Marcus Peters, to Gus Edwards, to the running back Dobbins, and so many others, I think that's really going to take its toll on the team. I don't think that you're going to see the Ravens look up and be 6-11 and 11 after the season's over with, but I do think that they're going to stub their toe more than their fair share of time. So I look at them more so to be 9-8 and eight this year, something like that, maybe 8-9, and nine, maybe 10-7, and because John Harbaugh is still a very good coach. But I think that when you look at Mar Lamar Jackson, we all know the Achilles, his Achilles heel would be his passing prowess. Denver's got a good defense. <laughs> Von Miller can get after you. They got good corners. Patrick Sertain. You got uh, Darby, Bryce Callahan. But uh, I would say that uh, I would give it to Denver because I think Denver's defense is going to do a pretty good job of bottling up Baltimore's offense. All right, so we'll split on that one. And the final one, Raiders-Chargers. I mean, this is going to be a home game. Uh, for the Raiders, Stan, even though it's in L.A., the Raiders have won two straight on the road in this series. I think it's a close game, but once again, I think the Raiders find a way to figure it out, and they're going to get a win on the road and make it 3-0, and three in a row over the Chargers on the road and improve to 4-0 this season. Yeah, this is another time where there's a part of me that's hoping that I'm wrong. There's a part of me that really asks myself, okay, Stan, what do you think the likelihood that y'all are going to come out the gate 4-0 in the month of September. I'm sorry, it won't even be September anymore. It'll be October. But like, what's the what's the likelihood that you guys are going to come out the gate the first quarter of the season and go undefeated, 4-0? 
I would love to see that happen, by the way. But just based on previous years, there's a part of me that has to think, man, we got past the Ravens and the Steelers <laughs> and that game against Miami, which in by all accounts from years past, we would have found a way to lose and we found a way to go ahead and come out and be victorious. And we're going to go and pull one off in L.A. Monday Night Football against Justin Herbert and those boys down there, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler. I can go all the way down the list. I would love to see that happen. I hope that that happened. But the, there's a part of me that's like, Stan, do you really think they're going to go 4-0 and in the first quarter? Just, you know, speaking realistically, not optimistically. So I hope that I'm wrong when I say what I'm about to say. But there's a part of me that thinks after that big win at Arrowhead, they now got some momentum that the, uh, the L.A. Chargers will pull this in out. But I hope that I'm wrong. All right, well, we'll see how it plays out on Monday night. All right, let's talk some high school football. Who's St. Thomas have this weekend? Oh, we got Central Catholic High School in San Antonio, Texas. How'd you guys do last weekend? We won last week. Uh, we played St. John the 23rd. We won uh, We won big. I forget the final score, but it, it wasn't close at all. So, uh, so Central Catholic is probably going to be one of our biggest games, one of our biggest opponents uh, throughout the remainder of our regular season schedule. And then what college game you got this weekend? This college, this week I have Northern Illinois and Eastern Michigan. All right. So that yes. is a Mac battle. Yes. Mac battle. Yes. Uh-huh. Can't wait. This will be my first Mac. This will be my first Mac game I've ever called. So, uh, so definitely a little different from uh, American Athletic Conference. Dan, great show as always, my friend. No problem, man. Can't wait to do it with you next week, DA. All right, that's going to do it for another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by betonline.ag. For my partner, Stanford Rout, I'm Dennis Ackerman. Thanks so much for listening, and may all your punts find the coffin corner. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.